Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and another by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in, an, in the ordinary way. But the son of the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively. For the woman, women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her husband, than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of a promise that at the, that at the time the son born into ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and of her son. For the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you, that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare that to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the spirit of righteousness, for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take on, take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay by penalty, whoever it may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has has been abolished. 
As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, uh, as we come to your word, we ask that you would help us to understand, help us to reflect and to know, help me to explain, open our eyes, give us ears to hear what you are saying, reassure us by your grace and mercy, by the power of your spirit, that you are a person, you are our God of your word. And we pray that you keep me from error, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got the best position, or we've got the best posse. We've got the perfect place, the situation that has been given to us in Christ Jesus. That could summarise pretty much what we've done in Galatians and certainly this passage. There's a lot in here, and Paul gets a little bit, uh, shall we say, uh, passionate about it, about what's happening, and he gets a bit, uh, as you saw that last sentence that we read, he gets a bit intense, and uh, he truly fears for what's happening, as we've seen all along. What's going to happen with these people? Are they going to continue in grace and in faith? He's really worried about that, and he wants to make sure that they keep going. And so he picks up this allegory. He does it a couple of times. And to be honest, we don't normally recommend allegories. I don't. Allegories were used in the church in the Middle Ages and things. We came away from those sort of use because of where they go. But Paul uses it here. Scripture uses it. God has given us it. And we'll do our best to understand it. He picks up Sarah and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael. Uh, my first point is, forgive me, two Sheilas and two ankle biters. One of those women is Sarah. And you might say in the Australian vernacular, in the context of what we're saying, she is Bonza. She is the one whom's Lord's choice from Abraham, for Abraham. Sarah is the one who will bear the child of God's promise. Now, if you know anything of Sarah, what was the problem with that? How old was Sarah? She made me look very young. Is that right? Sarah was really old, as is Abraham. Two old people don't normally give birth to children. And so Abraham, receiving this promise, thinks after a while, you know, two and two don't add up to four here, and he tries to, he loses patience. He tries to develop the promise himself, and that decision is a real clangor. And so he chooses his slave woman, Hagar. 
It's a sign of Abraham's impatience, at least, his sin, his lack of faith. And that means that Hagar is not from the promise of God. And that's what his point is here. Abraham can't wait, and so he chooses Hagar. Paul uses that contrast and continues it that Hagar, the decision to choose Hagar and the child that she had of Ishmael is a decision of the flesh. And I think the NIV uses that word here, which is nice because it belongs there. It would have been nicer if it had kept it going all the way through because you would have clearly seen that again. But I assure you, Paul was consistent in that use. Hagar is a flesh decision, just like circumcision and the law and all those things. Here is Hagar. She is a flesh decision. Two sons, two women. One, he uses also the situation that Hagar is also a slave, and that's not an accident. He picks that up and he wants to use that because all along this decision of flesh of law, has led to slavery. And he uses this uh, allegory here to keep that point going. On the other side is the son of faith, of Isaac, who is from Sarah, from Abraham, the promise of God, which came from, as we saw, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He had faith. And Isaac is the son of the divine promise of faith. He uses that to contrast what is going on. And he wants to make sure that you, they stay in the faith column, not in the other column. He fears they're switching sides. He wonders why that is happening. And he's amazed that it is. The allegory is a little bit complicated, but it is here. Paul wants to make sure that they stay in the faith column because the righteous will live by faith, faith in what the Lord Jesus has done for them, and he will pour his spirit upon them, not the law. Flesh, law, leads to slavery. Faith, the spirit, leads to freedom. That is what he's established. And he keeps that even going, surprisingly, even a little more. He says one of those things comes from the earthly Jerusalem and another one comes from the heavenly Jerusalem. It's a bit of out of the blue here, this one for me. It's a little bit of a... A shock, but he uses that as well. The agitators he picks up have come from the earthly, fleshy Jerusalem. And he contrasts it with the divine promises which have come by the Spirit through Christ from the heavenly Jerusalem. Verse 25 and 26 of chapter 4. Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children 
But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Fleshy decisions on earth keep us enslaved, he's saying. God's promise is by faith, by spirit, is heavenly and make us free. People of Christ and of the spirit, we do not live under the law anymore. We are true sons of Abraham. We are free. That's the contrast he makes. It's, it's an interesting one, and you have to work hard when you read it. But Paul is saying these agitators have come, and he gets, as we, say, as we see later, he gets quite angry at them. <laughs> he just wished they would go away, let's say that. The application is here, though. He wants them to be people of the spirit of faith, relying on the promises of God, and he wants them to stay there. That's the best position. Secondly, he doesn't want them to move a muscle. He wants them to have faith through love, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. And you see it there in chapter 5, verse, verse 1, stand firm. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He wants them to stay in this that they have heard, this message and faith that they've trusted. He's staggered that they want to move away, move back and move back to slavery. He's just begging them. He's urging them. He's can't get any stronger in this, I don't think, than to say, you've got it all in Jesus. Don't go away from it. You've got it made. God has given it to you. It is a gift given to you by grace alone, in Christ alone, faith alone. And as we know, through the scriptures alone, and that all the glory about this goes to God alone. The scriptures have shown that the true people of God, the true sons of Abraham, are the, are the sons of by faith in the grace revealed in the Lord Jesus. Don't move from that position. Verses 7 to 12, make sure you grab this position, this posse. You are running a good race, and who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. But I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other, one, no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Does anyone bake here? Anyone, anyone, anyone bake? I've got a friend who bakes for a... For, uh, sort of something to do. I, I sort of look at all the things he bakes and I think he must be getting the size of a house. You eat all those things, all this bread he bakes, but then you look at him and he's thin as anything. Bake, anyone bakes. Does that mean anything to do? Well, there we are, baking here. Yeast, do you need much of it? Why is that? And it's, is that right? It, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? It seems to. Is that right? 
Uh, Cameron, you'd be a baker. Uh, that's right. <laughs> we should, ask. should have asked Cameron. <laughs> Don't know why I did. Joyce is not here, so I'll ask you. He uses it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, and he uses the same sort of analogy. What he's saying, the, this person who has come in who's persuading you to do something, do something else, it's dangerous, and you don't need much of it before it actually works and takes you away. And that's what he's hoping, that that will not happen. Who cut on you? You are running a good race. What does it mean to be cut in on? I know it's surfers do. You know, they sort of, you can cut in, drop in on a surfer. You know, you're going along. Anyone surf? Maybe a surfer up the back there or two. If you cut in on them, they, they get really cranky. Why? Because you, they had a great thing going and you got in the way and ruined it. That's what Paul's saying here. Who cut in on you and stopped your race being well run? He's saying that little yeast of do this and just do that and why don't we do that, it's going to lead you away and take you away. The bad teaching that's come from these agitators at Galatia are making an impact and the impact is very negative. Paul wants them to continue consider that to take that they've got the best position he wants them to keep going they are scot-free they are in living in god's grace which has made, given them the power of the resurrection in their lives raising them to new life in jesus that faith has come to them free not to slave them again to anything else. And that's the message he wants them to have. Stay there. Be in God's grace and mercy, the children of faith. The rest of the book, he goes on to say things like live by the spirit because it's been a flesh versus spirit contrast, faith versus works, faith versus law. If you are led by the Spirit, he says in verse 18, you are not under the law. He hopes that it continue this way because in this way, God will change them, transform them, and make them more like Jesus. This other way will enslave them to endless pursuit of frustration. Grace, mercy, and truth. Verse 22, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things which he wants unleashed in them by the power of God who will do it, not anyone else. God, by his grace and mercy, will change them and continue them to be a powerful force in their world. That's why that heading at the end says then there, not circumcision, but a new creation, because God is transforming the world into his new creation and he's starting in his people. 
So Paul firmly wants them to not be led away from that future and what has started in them because of God's grace and mercy. Faith, faith in the promises of God. Now, Paul wants that. We need that. And we must also always stay there. There are temptations for us to think, well, I'm not this and I'm not that and I have done this and I haven't done that. There must be something else I can do. must be something else I can be. Does God really love me? I had a reunion. uh, Well, I actually didn't make it. There was a reunion, a 20-year reunion some years ago, actually, uh, at my year from theological college, uh, the one, the college I went to. And one guy responded as he looked at the photo, which I wasn't in it, so no wonder he said this, the Lord is faithful. He said that. Because why? Because we'd studied for four years at college and worked quite well and done this and done that. He didn't say that for that. He said it because God, despite what I am, whether I was a minister, a chaplain, whether I'd gone back to work or whatever, whatever your story is, God is faithful. By his promises, he did it to save you, to save his people. And he gave you a special status that he bestowed on you through his grace and love. And he will produce in us the fruits of that love that changes the world and will be a part of the new creation when there will be no more tears or pain and all things will be new. We've got the best position. Hallelujah to him, our Saviour Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious Father and God, uh, you are our God. You saved us. It's by your mercy, as we call on your name, you have given us your spirit. We have done so because of your good pleasure. You've drawn us to yourself. You've enabled us to know you. You've opened our eyes and ears. You've given us faith. You've made it grow. And by your spirit, you're producing in us the people you would like us to be. Lord, one day we will be transformed wholly and totally to be so. Father, we pray for our world. Uh, We remembered our friend uh, Bob Evans, one thing he loved and prayed for earnestly was revival. And we think of our world and we pray, Lord, that we ask that your grace and mercy would be unleashed in our lives, but also in our world, in our friends, in our family, in this society. We would pray that truth and love would be embraced that grace and mercy and the power of your spirit would be unleashed. And we ask, Lord, as we proclaim this, that you would help us to continue in that love. It's not always easy. The evil one is very tempting. He's very clever. Our society is 
speaking to us lots of other different messages. Father, we pray that we would stay firm, hold straight, stay the course and run the good race. Father, we would do that because you have enabled us to do. We ask and pray that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.